0: in the world that we currently live in it is very difficult to find the tools to like do anything around the world of community or building a business or anything like that i think decentralized technologies are a rocket ship towards a world where all that stuff becomes turnkey
1: Welcome to the Sporting Crypto Podcast, where we talk to leaders at the intersection of sport and Web3 on their journeys in this weird and wonderful space. Today, I'm joined by Solo Cissé, who is the co-founder and CEO of galaxy How's it going, man? It's good, man. How are you? Thanks for uh, finally agreeing to do this. We got you in New York. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I appreciate you for uh, reaching out. It's going to be great. Why don't you um, begin by telling the audience a little bit about what your energy is focused on right now with Galaxy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've been we've been building for a number of years. Uh, I founded Galaxy with Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets. He's actually down in Miami right now. They got an away game, so he couldn't be here. And our main focus was trying to reinvigorate or rebuild the creator economy. We wanted to create better avenues to creator monetization and allow content creators of all different types, not just sport, um, but to be able to monetize themselves. And you know, our journey really starts even before that with Spencer's content track securitization he became the first NBA player to tokenize himself and we saw a better or an even bigger opportunity to help different types of creators tokenize themselves and we went with more of the utility model just given that securitization and the regulatory landscape had been ever changing at the time and so we saw an even bigger opportunity with things like Cameo blowing up things like Patreon only fan all these different types of creator first platforms you know we thought we could build a better more efficient social media model that allows content creators to sell experiences to their fan base um, and monetize themselves as the asset versus kind of being used as the asset in the world of Web 2. And so you know, that was our main focus. And we've been happy to you know, have made all the progress that we've had over the last couple of years. We launched in August of this summer, August this year. And it's been a great process ever since. And uh, yeah, just trying to find and hunt for product market fit.
1: And how's it been going since the launch? Oh, it's been
0: great. Like, honestly, I think one of the biggest surprises of it was really how other people viewed our product. And I think you have a very good idea of how people will receive it, but you never really know until you ship a product. And so what we did is, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. We've had overwhelming support we've built on the Hedera network, which obviously the HR foundation is a proud sponsor of this podcast. So we love it. Shout out David. We've been working with them for a number of years and the community that's been behind us and, and been able to support the project and the earth. Early days have been great. We shipped just an MVP, so it's a high-functioning MVP. Um, but uh, it's been it's been a great process, really, getting to understand what people are you know asking for. And you know, I think a lot of people were comparing it to X upon launch, which was great, just because you know there's not really many crypto consumer-facing applications that you would even think to compare to the ones we use today. And so I think it shows the level of work and focus that we put in and that we didn't rush a product to market and wanted to ship the best product possible.
1: And before we get into that a little bit more, for you personally, your journey in Web3, what sparked the curiosity? What was the light bulb moment for you?
0: Honestly, like I talked about this on an interview not too long ago, but Spencer brought Web3 to me. So, like, I was an investment banker. I went to Wharton. I had African parents. They were like, you go and get this degree. Like, they weren't playing. You go get this degree, and you go get yourself a nice job, and you're gonna make money and send it back home to your parents. <laughs> but, like, they thought that, uh, you know, I had worked very hard in pursuing a career in financial services to an investment bank for a number of years. And so, when Spencer came to me in 2017 being like, yeah, dude, the financial system you work in is deeply flawed and like I got a project for you. Like are you interested in crypto? And I was just like, yo, this dude is crazy. And he fell on a lot of swords to be honest cuz like, you know, people yeah, he was early to the space, but he was definitely a pioneer and we learned a lot from those experience, but him and my older brother are best friends. And so they've uh, been like my older brothers depending on the day, they can be my younger brothers, just Depends on what they want to be like, Uh, but my brother was really the dot connector and we started working on that contract securitization and that kind of paved way into a broader interest, Uh, you know, finding a way to to use the skills that I've learned over the years to try and affect change in the entertainment industry. And, you know, with a lot of our friends being in that sports adjacent world or entertainment industry, you know, it seemed like a great opportunity to build.
1: And that was a bit of a watershed moment. I remember seeing that headline in like 2018, maybe 2019. 2019. Yeah, yeah, 2019. Do you want to explain to the audience what exactly happened then and and how it went down and why it was such a, Big headline.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, there were a lot of uh, concerns about the incentive issues with pulling off a, a contract securitization. So there were a couple different structures Spencer had to put in front of them before you know he was able to ultimately get the green light and successfully do so. But you also got a context set for back then, like the concept of an NFT didn't exist. Like it did exist, but it didn't exist. No one knew it and no one was calling it that. And I think when you ever have, you know, change or changes coming, you're going to be met with a lot of restriction. You're going to be met with a lot of pushback. And I think that's what we experienced early on in those days. But I think, you know, his contract securitization actually made way and gave way to a whole different level of excitement for the world of digital assets from the NBA. Like, you know, things like Top Shot, which Spencer was also an early investor into them, were able to come and, you know, really change the way in which people view the fan experience and how essential these decentralized technologies can really be to improving the fan experience, which is, relatively speaking, hasn't changed since the introduction of social media, maybe, over the last 20 years. And so I think that definitely was
1: a big role in it. I want to touch on the fan experience, engagement, how decentralized technology can play on that in later bits of the show. But just before we talk about Galaxy, why is decentralized tech such an important paradigm shift in your eyes? In my eyes I think what it does is
0: in the world that we currently live in it is very difficult to find the tools to like do anything around the world of community or building a business or anything like that. I think decentralized technologies are a rocket ship towards a world where all that stuff becomes turnkey. And I think one thing that's you know very important especially in the world of sports and you're thinking about players and them their ability, you know, they have a fixed amount of time that they'll be able to do athletics. And I think what's really important And what you've seen over the last couple decades is the rise of the athlete influencer, the athlete as an endorser, or like athlete as a brand.
1: Or an investor
0: as well. Or as an investor. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think when you think about from all different parts of that coin, the importance of an athlete being able to create their own platform, but not only create it, but also really own it and be able to make sure that there's like a certain level of stickiness to what they've built versus the flippant world of social media, where things like Vine come and go, and all of a sudden, if you had 5 million followers on Vine, did you really have 5 million followers if they could be gone? At the instance of the platform being white, and I think that's the world that we all live in today. And I think that's going to become an increasingly important concern for people as they look to, you know, really build that next step towards, you know, financial independence and really owning their image, their likeness um, in a way they've never been able to before, because the social media model we currently use today is so antiquated, and the ways in which. Traditional social media platforms monetize themselves through, you know, ads and whatever that might be, make it very difficult for them to create incentives for creators to actually want to, you know, be able to make money on themselves versus making money for the platform.
1: Vine's a great example, but also the algorithmic nature of these platforms means that even if you do have a five million following You don't reach them. You don't reach them or it can change on a dime, so your content was reaching a million people, now it reaches 100,000, which is really difficult. Correct. I mean, you're absolutely right in that. And I've talked about this a little
0: bit more. And I think there's so much to do there. But if you really think about the world of social media, like, it's a playground, right? And social media apps and social networks are meant to do what? connect people, right? Like you can have, you know, many different types of relationships in this type of world. And if I like to you know create an example, like this world of social media is that ultimate playground. And it was great. People were having fun. This is back in 2013, 12, 14, whenever, when Instagram first came up, you know, that was probably the golden age of social media. And just like a bunch of altcoin charts, that might've been the best, <laughs> that might've been the best it ever was. <laughs> but I think when you think about a social media platform and like the way in which you got to monetize this through the introduction of ads, you're actually ruining the concept of what you're trying to build, which is connecting people. If the only way you can monetize that is through putting ads in between those connections, you're creating a product that's getting more low quality, or it's losing its quality over time, right? And I think that's kind of what's happening. And so, people want to end up leaving because it's not as fun. That's why Instagram and everything that we use today is not as fun as it used to be. And so, what do they do? They create algorithms that make it very difficult and punish people who try to leave. Right. And so I think it's one of those things where like things like, you know, shadow banning, which do exist and like algorithms that just change the way your content is received by the ultimate audience is so implicative on like what your end all be all bottom line might be. And to build a business on that type of flippant structure is going to be very difficult. And so like back to kind of what I was saying is like, I think decentralized technologies create a turnkey solution for people to easily build things, reuse things that have already been built for the community and really own the things that they build.
1: Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of social media platforms go for subscription models, and the way they try and push you to subscribe on a monthly basis is by putting more ads in front of you. To, I mean, I've been noticing it with YouTube a lot, for example, in, in the last three months. I'm not a premium subscriber because I don't watch that much YouTube content, but when I do watch a five-minute video and there's 45 seconds worth of ads, it's crazy.
0: And there's got to be a better way to build a model to make money. Right And I think that's just a reality is that social media needs to be reinvented from the ground up. And I think the ways in which you monetize a network need to be very different. And so for us, um you know even things like Galaxy, we view ourselves as not necessarily a social network. But we also don't view ourselves as like a just a creator marketplace. We don't view ourselves as just a non-custodial wallet. We're kind of all of these things. And so like I think it's one of those things where when you create that type of environment where, you know, you have a non-custodial wallet. So assets can come with you, ownership can come with you, it can be verifiable, it can be, you know, all these different things. You bring that kind of, you know, out of the box and you bring a network of those types of people and you kind of connect them via a network or a social network. And then you have marketplace capabilities, you kind of create this perfect recipe for value transfer to be instantaneous and easy between people. And the value can kind of be, you know, easily preserved between, you know, the people on the network versus, you know, it being compromised by the constant pursuit of more profits and more ads, et cetera, in the traditional social media model.
1: Let's dig into Galaxy's business model, the the operational side of things, and, and also the feature sets that set it apart. Why has blockchain become such an important part of the the narrative for the product that you're building.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to think about Galaxy, especially for, you know, this audience, which is great, sporting crypto, is that it's a non-custodial wallet that does things. And so, like, what we mean by that is, You know, most non custodial wallets that we use hold your money, and like maybe you can use them for DeFi activities and things like that. But when it comes to the average person, all it does is hold your money, right? And if you look at me and I think about the biggest opportunity in crypto, it's really solving that UX problem of like, how do we move assets on chain without being a headache? And so we thought that a peer to peer network where people were connected by things like wallets is the most efficient way to transfer value. And that could very easily be applied to helping a creator get paid. So it's like a fan creator, two wallets, easy way to exchange value. In exchange for the value or the, the money, you're getting that experience and kind of creating that paradigm. And we think that the easiest way to do that or become a bank out of the box is through the use of blockchain technology, which allowed us to build things quite fast, which is a lot different than you know other marketplaces that exist, where you have a lot more bureaucracy, you have a lot more moving pieces that actually need to work together for it to work. So you have endless operational downside and risk too. And so I think for us, you know, that's kind of, you know, why the blockchain aspect of it was so important because out of the box, where Hashgraph <laughs> um, was so important out of the box, is because it allows us to do things like build a marketplace relatively seamlessly. And then in terms of what makes Galaxy super different is that. It's not just one of these things, it's all of these things. So like a lot of social platforms allow influencers to sell subscriptions, which is cool, but that doesn't really work if you're Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, do you think he's making content that's going to live... In, like, he's not a content creator, but he might get on a video call with somebody or a fan or give them a jump shot lesson and actually monetize that. And so Galaxy is kind of that hub or that catch-all where you could basically productize anything and sell it to that end user, depending on who you might be. So you can context set it. And then also... The aspect of even being able to, you know, set a minimum threshold on custom bids, and you know, have your fans set the context for what they want. And if you're Travis Scott, maybe you set your price at five thousand dollars or whatever it might be, and like somebody could actually ask you to perform, to your, you know, at their house, and you could say yes or no. But essentially, that's kind of what Calyx's, you know, secret sauce is: is ultimate customizability, and we aim to have it do
1: something for everybody. And on the creator side, what's the reaction been like? From their end, what are some of the feature sets that some of these people have been wanting, demanding? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I mean, I think our feature set is in direct response to the creators that we've known. And and I think one of our biggest superpowers is that we're so close to it. Spencer being an NBA player, myself having a background in sports, too, having played Division One Sports. I have friends that have made it to the league and I have friends that are entertainers, etc. And so I think all of those things together, you know, really helped inform the product that we ended up building. And a lot of people don't really get that type of insight. And I think that's the best reason why or the most important reason why the customizability of Galaxy, you know, came out in the in the end product is that that was voiced to us a lot. Is that there were so many different types of creators that were like, oh, I would love to be able to make money off of my fans, but there are no tools that actually allow me to offer experiences that make sense for them. If, With all due respect, if I'm not like a, a celebrity of yesteryear or like a a less celebrity or whatever cameo may not make sense for me right like if i'm a tiktoker that has a couple million followers but not like nationally recognizable you're not going to make money on cameo so like that doesn't really work for them but at the same time you may not be the type of person like spencer he's not going to create a patreon account and start posting content on subscription right and so i think we just wanted to create a product that works for the entirety of the creator economy with no
1: bounds and in terms of where you see this developing in the future is it iterating on that feedback loop, or is there a specific North Star that you're building towards?
0: Uh, I mean, I think the feedback loop is really important, but I think the world of, you know, Galaxy is being built as we speak about it. And I think that's kind of, you know, our main goal is to obviously find product market fit as fast as possible. But, you know, there's a lot there when it comes to the ultimate, you know, the end all be all. Like I want... Somebody to use Galaxy to ultimately decide where they go to college and monetize that decision. Like in the world of NIL and stuff, if you're the top five star recruit, what's stopping you from being able to ask your fans, like, do I want to go to Ohio State and Michigan dollar per vote? Like winning fan base wins. And I raise $100,000 because I just am the five-star recruit. That's a world that's not too far away. And that's the one I want to build towards where ultimately anything is possible. And content creators aren't beholden to the the platforms that they build their content on. And I think it's just the most crazy concept to me that like the the social media model that we currently live in is just so one-sided in terms of the net benefit of uh, you know who's really benefiting.
1: And then how do you reconcile the fact that some of these creators have content flowing on different platforms and obviously there's not the ability to kind of like plug and connect all those things together is that issue something that you're thinking about as a platform as well?
0: Yeah. I mean I think that's always the case. And I think the best way to answer this question is that I think every single application or new tech product, especially nowadays, it's so much more difficult than it probably was 10 years ago. And I say that to say is because I think you have an attention issue these days, right? Like we have the shortest attention span we've ever had. TikTok like is the exact example of why that's the case. And so I think if you ask the average person like how many apps they had on their phone um, they have too many. And so I think, even if you look at some studies, like I, I believe in like early twenty tens, the average person had thirty forty applications on their phone today. It's more double like more than double that. And so when you think about that, it's like every single application that you download has to serve some sort of immovable purpose for you to actually make sense for it to have a space on your home screen. And so I think a lot of it is kind of like understanding, you know, that reality and building a tool that solves multiple needs for that content creator. And I think Galaxy does that really well as it solves so many different needs for them. But I think the goal is like, ultimately to build a product that serves the needs for a lot of different people. And I think the other one to think about is kind of the, you know, the non-custodial wallet and like the UX issue. Like we want to build the wallet that is the wallet of the future. We want to build the wallet that that people actually want to use and people want to you know check on a day to day basis or an hourly basis. Like, you know, I think one thing that was super cool was that Spencer and I went on CNBC and actually did a live demo where I sent him USDC on TV with the Galaxy app in our DM system. It's called Send Crypto Through DMs or DMs with Superpowers, where you can actually text crypto to a friend. Because if I were to ask you, when was the last time you used crypto to pay your friend back for a pizza you split? When was it? Never. Isn't that crazy to you? Yeah. There's a multi-trillion dollar asset class. The best use case of it is peer-to-peer payments, yeah. not NFTs, peer-to-peer payments, and no one's using it. Dude, it's the craziest thing to me. And it's one of those things where, like, if you think about it, we don't have a Venmo-like product in... The world of you know crypto, and I think that's kind of like our goal is to really, really improve that UX issue. Your wallet should be able to call your friends. Your wallet should be able to make you money as a business. You should be able to you know build a business on top of the wallet that you own. Your wallet should be able to be you know the beginnings of what ultimately could be DAO infrastructure your wallet should be able to have a social feed. It should be able to mint NFTs. It should be able to list NFTs for marketplace where other people with wallets can easily buy them. Like your wallet needs to do things going back to your answer before of like, you know, multiple platforms and managing it. It's like if your wallet does things and all of a sudden like people are going to start using them. And I think similarly to even the creator economy issues, if your app does enough things and creates enough utility so that people keep coming back for more, I think you kind of solve for that, that issue of attention.
1: It's really interesting. I mean, again, how do you reconcile the jeopardy that there is with self-custodial wallets, the likes of Metamask, et cetera, people signing the wrong things, people getting hacked, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about building entire platforms Environments, economies around those things. That how does the security side of things ladder in?
0: I mean, I think I need some
1: help from Dr.
0: Lehman Beard. <laughs> I think we need some. We that's above. <laughs> that is above me in terms of security. But really, importantly, though, you bring up a good point, and I think it's really about understanding like the niche of the market you're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And so, I think. You know, the iPod, for instance, right? Do you remember the iPod Shuffle? Just about, yeah. Didn't have a screen, didn't have anything or whatever. There's a lot of different types of iPods that made sense for different types of people. And similarly, I think wallets need to have different types of user journeys that make sense for different types of people. And I think if you know safety and security is the most important thing for whatever these funds are going to be you know, custodied in this wallet, I think the wallet needs to have a user journey that's representative of that. Whereas if you're talking about a wallet that's meant to be your analog to your Venmo or Zelle account, or whatever that might be. I don't think it needs to have the same sort of attributes. And so I think that's one thing that's important and top of mind. And, you know, secondly, it's also, you know, us being, you know, very, very prudent about who we try to, you know, partner with. And if we do a lot of things, or if we try to plug into a lot of different things or solve or have a lot of different use cases, we can't be builders of everything. And so I think it's finding partners that have expertise and, you know, whatever... Field it might be, or whatever sort of uh, partnership you're seeking to help accelerate your product is kind of like the other aspect of this, too, is partnering with people who are better at this than we are.
1: Let's shift gears slightly and talk a bit about uh, what we were discussing before in terms of the fan experience and how that hasn't really evolved through the internet developing. And I think that is partly because. Sports teams and leagues haven't spent that much money on their own infrastructure and they've utilized those platforms and silos that we've talked about in Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and so on and so forth. Where do you think Web3 has a real opportunity to kind of disrupt that and bring some of that fan experience to the modern day?
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I think the example I mentioned even earlier about like being able to pick the school you go to, like I think that would be amazing because there's so much untapped potential. I think there's so much gamification in like how you might get people so riled up about these kids coming out of school and like wanting to improve their teams and the school spirit that would create could be very interesting. I also think in terms of, you know, the modern day athlete, the we're seeing that you have to be versatile and you have to be able to, you're going to have to address the business side of things off the court sooner than ever. Like NIL as a concept is super important. I think these tools help the other 99% of people in NIL that aren't going to get you know, Shadira Standard's money. You're not going to get the number one or the A-list money or Angel Reese money, whatever it might be. Those people that are outside of that category need decentralized technologies and they need the ability to build their own platforms because that's going to be how they continually, ongoingly make money off of their time in sport. And I think a lot of times when you talk to athletes, the calculus shouldn't be like, how do we make your time during sports the best? It's like, how do we make this work beyond the time that you
1: put on the jersey? I think that's a really good way to encapsulate it. I mean, I've been pitched a lot of direct-to-fan propositions from the athlete side of things, and a lot of them I think are focused on onboarding athletes through rights deals and so on and so forth and people raising or preparing to raise a lot of money to then get those athletes to become the the funnel for their platform. But obviously like what we're discussing here is creating almost the tooling and infrastructure to provide the athletes to do that without that kind of like faux incentivization model, which isn't really sustainable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you think about it, even social media as of today is it's a tool for a lot of people, and it's still a tool for athletes. Um, it's how they get there. It's like where they communicate to their audiences. It's a central place for them to not own, but for them to interact with their audiences. And I think, you know, the tools at which they need just need to be updated based off of where we are in life and society and like where people's interests are. And I think there's a lot to gain from it. I think you see that as evidenced by, you know, all of the success that's come from, you know, the world of Dapper Labs and how they've been able to do, you know, so well with all of their projects across sports leagues. And so I think for us, you know, I think the next frontier is really about having all those tools be turnkey so that everybody in the world of sport, can can easily profit off of their time in sport.
1: I want to talk a little bit about uh, loyalty in Web3, because that's like a big buzzword right now. Like people are building applications to uh, supercharge loyalty programs using Web3 technology. I mean, Starbucks, Odyssey, Lifthansa, We've also seen .Swoosh by Nike do pretty well, Alts by Adidas, et cetera. For me, I think it's crazy that loyalty programs for coffee beans are more successful than loyalty programs for like athletes or sports teams or leagues. It's pretty insane, right? Like Starbucks Odyssey is a great app, but looking at some of the perks and things that you can gain from that, it's another cup of coffee or it's meeting the person who got the beans that created the coffee. Those things are great. But the one thing that people are more passionate about than anything is sports. And it's bizarre to me that the product market opportunity there is huge but it's nowhere near the market fit and I think people are doing it wrong how do those two worlds collide that's a loaded question it's tough though
0: because you're exactly right I mean I think the world of sport is it makes so much sense the world of sports the world of gaming but even gamers have such an aversion for Digital assets, like we were just at TwitchCon not too long ago, and like NFTs are like the word NFTs banned at TwitchCon, like entirely. Actually, bad. Like actually you can't <laughs> do anything with NFTs there. It's actually nuts. <laughs> it's a lot of that, but I think maybe it also has a little bit to do with the, and I don't know if this is going to get in trouble, but like the bureaucracy around sport, to be honest with you. Like I think the inner workings of Starbucks corporate, like they could probably figure and reconcile how to use this technology for their own benefit faster than people in the world of sport owners or the ways in which things go down, I think it's just a longer process. I think it depends also on, you know, the leagues too. Like the NBA is like a very, very forward, you know, embracing league of new technology. So I think they're a little bit ahead, but yeah, I mean, I think it has to do that. And then lastly, I think it also has to do with just the experiences that the digital assets unlock. And I think people just haven't thought of like an inventive model to actually really activate it because sports, I agree, it could have been massive. And, like, the idea of, like, a wallet in microtransactions and finding a way to gamify the actual in-fan experience, like, you know, I could only imagine. You know, things that would be insane would be things like XFL and, like, leagues that, like, not the NFL because obviously it's, like, the game. But what if they gamified it so that, like, if people were like, is that a bad call? It's like, I don't know, stakes of crypto, like reverse the call. Or like the audience could really get into it. I don't know, like the fan experience could be so insane if people could do that. If it were a little bit like, kind of like Mario Kart, but like not <laughs> at the same time. So it wasn't completely luck, but like, you know.
1: A good quote from someone we had previously on the show, Nigel Eklis, who uh, co-founded FanDuel, now co-founded BetDex and Vault, respectively. He was like... Okay, Web3 games are great, but if it's just a first person shooter, but there's NFTs in it, why is it going to be so much more successful than like Call of Duty? And it's a great point, right? And so, if you do have a sports league that just incorporates Web3, it has to be something like out of the box and completely different, which is why, you know, when you give the example of um, people like staking tokens or sending a dollar to a college athlete and deciding whether he goes to this college or that college, it seems kind of alien and weird, but. Almost like the -the out-of-the-box solutions and and thinking it might not be the thing, but it gets you closer to the innovative new product market fit.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're, You're exactly right with that. And I think the world of, you know, sport, there's just so much undiscovered territory. There's so much unventured land that we haven't gotten to. And I think that will really change in the future. And I think when we start to get those use cases... You could really start to see some, you know, development in there, but you're 100% correct. I don't know if Grand Theft Auto, I hear that they're actually going to say... That's what know. they
1: say, like, I don't know, but like, that'd be really cool. If, like, you know, you could actually do that kind of stuff. I think the, the incentivization um, models aren't really aligned for like current publishers, right? Like, again, that's why you said a new league has to like do something, right? Because... Karate combat. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about them soon for sure. <laughs> but like... um you know, GTA, they sell a game and it makes them billions. Yeah. Why would they risk the golden goose? Same with EA Ultimate Team. I remember reading a report where it was like, oh, they're leaving like 500 mil on the table by not having NFTs. And I was like, they're never going to risk two and a half billion dollars worth of revenue for an extra five hundred The downside versus upside makes no sense. And a walled garden suit these publishers. But like when you have a new property or something that grows really quickly, it can be really, really disruptive. Correct. No, I mean, I
0: think you're absolutely right. And I think you even see this with like, uh, I believe like Reddit just shut down their crypto rewards program. I read an article about that not too long ago, but it's exactly that. Like I was saying that in the piece, it's like if you're going to introduce net technologies, it has to create convenience and it has to do something net new. And I think they just tried to replace their old program with, A crypto forward program that also was less user intuitive. Right. And like that just like is a recipe for, you know, things that need to be very much so reimagined uh, before they're introduced to the public.
1: And I think the irony is they have probably the most successful consumer facing crypto proposition with um, Reddit collectible avatars.
0: Yeah. And that's what I say in the article because I'm such a big fan. Reddit is like the, they're early to things. They embrace things. They do things that everyone else is afraid to do. Honestly, they sit way further on the other side of like risking two and a half billion for 500 million. Not say so they would, but they're closer to that. And so, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. It definitely has to introduce like some sort of net new novelty.
1: For sure. I think we'll wrap up part one there. And before we move on to part two, I need to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by the HBAR Foundation. The most beloved sports brands understand that what fans want is simple, a reason to be passionate. The HBAR Foundation enables brands and fans to share the passion they have for their teams on-chain using the Hedera network, the most used sustainable enterprise-grade DLT for the decentralized economy. Visit linkedincom company Foundation to learn more and get the latest HBAR Foundation and Hedera network news. Welcome back to part two of this episode with Solo. We're going to jump right back in. So you mentioned Karate Combat. You're an advisor there. I've been speaking and working with the team for a little while as well. Uh, Dave and co are great. I've been to one of the shows. It's a crazy experience, really brutal. Uh, I trained martial arts myself when I was young, but like even seeing it, it, it's just insane. Um, We were talking about kind of outlandish, crazy propositions that have to be outside the box enough to potentially succeed and and innovate and disrupt. Why do you think this project is a special one?
0: Whew. I mean, I think the karate combat guys, they just do things outside of the box and they're legitimately just trying to find ways to improve the fan experience. And I think that forward-looking approach to integrating decentralized technologies into what they're doing is just going to be so much more better received than people who kind of do so after the fact. And I think they just built it with good intentions. They didn't rush anything. I feel like they did their best in trying to actually solve a real gamification issue in the world of fighting and combat sports. Um, And I think when they did so, they did so in such a, you know, nice and novel way. I think it was the launch of Karate Combat brought about so much, like it reinvigorated the entire Hedera community and the entire crypto community. You saw everybody, you know, down at I think it was Bitcoin Miami. They had their huge event that they had down there and everybody was talking about it. And, you know, I think they, you know, really set the bar for, you know, what it really takes if a, if a sports league is really going to, you know, seriously try to look to integrate these technologies.
1: A lot of people have tried to do the Dow thing in sports and with not even a modicum of the same success. Then uh, Lynx Dow, Kraushaus, and a few others have, have found some success to varying degrees. Why has it been so difficult to kind of instill this decentralized autonomous organization vehicle to this industry?
0: I just think it's unfamiliar. To be honest, I just think people are afraid of things that they just don't understand. And that's just a reality. And I also think there are reasons as to why it will take a lot of time before, not a lot of time, but I think it will just take some time or people that are really able to cut through the knife. And I think Karate Combat, they've done a great job at trying to really lay the blueprint for what this could look like definitely some ways to go and like educating people about it but I mean I think in terms of the brand and how they've been able to introduce it to their fans it's great and I think you've seen that even earlier with Top Shot and like the way in which people really enjoyed this fan experience and analoging it to things that they understood already made it easier for them to pick up and use the product.
1: Yeah I mean Top Shot's a great example we've seen success from so Rare as well and and a few others I mean we've got the DAO side the collectibles the gaming Sports kind of cuts across almost all of those things, and Web3 is also horizontally disrupting all of them. Are you surprised that there's not been more success uh, at the intersection of these two things?
0: I think the market cycle honestly had a lot to do with it. I think a lot of people left the space. I think when crypto asset prices went down to where they were, I think a lot of the people at these institutions and the people that had the ability to be dot connectors and, and really push these things forward, lost buy-in from maybe the people in their camp. Like, you know, the the advisor that they were able to convince, like, this is a new technology that we should take a look into. They look at Bedouin and surprise and they're like, this is not gonna exist. And so I think that that is definitely what probably has a lot to do with it. But I think as we start to gear up and um, you know go into market cycle, for better or for worse, we're going to have a lot of new friends that come into this asset class. And I think that will help push adoption forward. And that reinvigorated interest in the asset class will make the opportunity a lot more clear to the people or the powers that be to really push those agendas forward. There's a certain level of like, yeah, I wish it would be a little bit more successful. But I also understand that it's like quite early where we're at. I think things are just going to take way longer than they used to, just given to you know where we are and how deeply rooted we are in the way in which we currently do things. And so, I think people just need to have patience, prudence, and you know continually see things through.
1: And the fact that there is not really a correct blueprint, right? I remember when the Starbucks Odyssey thing happened, or when Nike bought Artifact. These start to become small reference points for exact these big brands to be like, okay, this has been noise, but if those guys are doing something, we should be paying attention. And sometimes it does take those, in retrospect, small moments, but at the time, big ones to kind of capture enough attention to get people on the other side of the fence.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's going to be that. It's an education thing, too. And then also, I think innovation takes time. The beauty of decentralized technologies, the beauty of hashgraph. The beauty of these things is that we are not sure what the best use case for it is right now, and that's what I was saying earlier. I think the best use case for crypto is peer to peer payments right now, personally, in terms of what I've seen. Um, but we're not currently using them. But I think, in general, I think when we—that's what I'm most excited about this next upcoming bull market—is that you know we will see the use cases that may not have seen the light of day for a myriad of reasons over the last couple of years. And I think that unknown factor is honestly what I'm most happy about just because i think you know that's going to be you know another x factor here is like everyone that's in crypto right now has been in crypto they're sticking with it it's a bit of an echo chamber so like of course there's a lack of innovation and 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 new concepts and stuff because there's not new people entering the space but i think as people start to come back to the space you know we'll see opportunities for new use cases and more imaginative concepts come to play
1: i want to Backtrack a little bit. This is a question I was just thinking about um, as you were saying that when you're speaking to big partners and potentially big brands or big creators, what are some of the big hurdles that you have to jump or that you have to clear to convince them that this is a good idea to partner with you and Galaxy? I mean,
0: I think the number one is honestly just awareness. I think, and then also just the stigma of digital assets, I think that still lurks a little bit. I think people are getting a bit more open to the concepts of it, but you always have to, you know, even if people love the idea, they love the branding, they love the videos, you know, we have a pretty nice, robust brand image and it's unassuming When they start to understand the inner workings of things, they want to know more. And I think it's more of an opportunity, really. But I think it's just the the inertia that is going to be required to really push those people over the edge is something that is a bit unique, just given that if you are everything Galaxy is minus DLT, which probably arguably makes it not Galaxy at all. But hey, in the eyes of these people, you know, it would be a lot easier to explain them the concepts of it. But the, the issue is that obviously you don't get all the benefits of DLT. And so I think that's definitely the biggest challenge, but again, I think it's really having great answers for the benefits of why you need the technology. There's not enough people in our space that are building for the why, right? And I think that's kind of you know, challenged by a number of things. like why can't I just text you crypto? Like that's kind of like how our idea, even for send crypto through DM came out to be. It's like, I can't remember the last time I used crypto to pay a friend back. I'm an expert. I sit here and talk about crypto eight days a week. And I don't use it. Like, that's what i was sitting here. I'm a fraud, bro. We're all frauds. How is that possible? We are experts. We don't use it. Like, let's solve that issue, you know, and that kind of thing. And I think people just need to start building for that just because I think there's so much promise. But there's too many people thinking about the promise and the what ifs and the asset prices. There's not enough people thinking about building things that actually make it easy to use.
1: It makes so much sense, right? Building for the why. I mean, the reason why I love the Reddit example with collectible avatars is because you had static profiles that with one small unlock with assets on chain, it just completely overnight, boom, like people just got it. They were like, I can buy this thing. And if I don't like it, I can trade it for something else. I can sell it. Just amazing, right? I don't think there's enough of those propositions that like Mm -hmm. the unlock is so clear to everyone. You have to explain it to someone who's never heard about crypto and they get it. There's a lot, I think, at the moment of people trying to, tape utility and function onto the kind of digital content they've made
0: but it'd be the same stuff that we're already doing it's the same utility and function that we're already doing that's nothing novel about it there's nothing new and so it's like what are we doing <laughs> like you know what i mean and i think we have such a creative ecosystem there's so much opportunity and so i think there's just a lot of undiscovered territory and i think that's what i'm excited about is like it's hard, dude. Like, I think our space is very tough because it's like the venture money that would have been able to support some of these inventive people who come outside of this ecosystem is dried up, right? Like, they don't want to buy crypto right now. And so, like, it's really on the layer ones to help support projects through the bear market just because you're not going to have that access to capital that you would have had in a frothier market, right? And so, I think that makes it tough. And so, you see a bit of like a, a consistent exodus of people from the space, just given that it's been tough. Over time, but I think as the market cures a bit and you can kind of you know the venture money comes back and you have a little bit more opportunity. There's just going to be more builders in the space, but it's it's very interesting because it's tough because it's like at the end of the day, no matter how you know amazing your product might be, and even Galaxy included, we've had conversations and like you know people may or may not be as open or willing, and there's always going to be a group of people who are like I'm not touching that, mm-hmm. and you know that's hard to go up against. Whereas if you're completely Web two, you don't have that problem, and so I think it's a common of that the macroeconomic backdrop that makes it even more difficult.
1: And just wrapping up with a few questions here on kind of a bit more future gazing. What are you most bullish at this kind of intersection of sports, entertainment, culture and Web3?
0: I'm most bullish the creator. Like I'm most bullish the actual players and how they use these technologies. And I think what I'm bullish about are the tools that are going to arise in the next 18 months that make it really turnkey for a lot of people in consumer settings to use it. And I think the retail focus is going to be really important. Like retail use cases in the world of sport are going to be key. I mean, it kind of lives at the enterprise level, but I think it's one of those things where it has to touch the fans. It has to be very much so geared around that sort of fan interaction. Um, And so, I think that's like kind of one of the biggest opportunities. uh, And and I think that's where the market is heading. And I think we're going to see an influx of those types of tools start to populate. And I think that's going to change a lot of things. Just because you're also seeing a lot of people that are fed up with social media right now. They're fed up with the way in which they, you know, currently monetize their business and all these things. And so, I think as people come back in the space, as capital comes back in the space, the inventive people come back in the space, we'll start to see solves for those issues.
1: And what do you think's being overhyped? Ooh, overhyped. It's tough because I feel like
0: in the bear market, everything is kind of like everyone's depressed yeah. Yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just the the reliance on, and I hate to say this, because I'm not saying it in like a bad way, but the reliance on like. NFTs saving this technology need to go away. I think like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like NFTs are beautiful techniques. We use them. We love them. The Galaxy uses them in so many different ways. We could talk about it all day. Underneath the hood, there's so many parts of that. But I think in terms of, you know, what's going to bring people back, I think it's going to be so much more than just NFTs. NFTs and. I always say this. There's so much more to the world of crypto than NFTs. If that's what you think is the best use case for us, or if you think that's the saving grace of this technology, you don't understand
1: the technology. To be fair, it is probably the most successful consumer-facing primitive within this ecosystem so far.
0: Absolutely, for sure. And I don't doubt that. I think there's just, you know, when you think about the reason as to why that's the case, it's because the access point. I think the wallet's just tough. Because right now, sending fiat is, is disturbingly easy. Like, you can accidentally send fiat to somebody. Yeah. Get your phone in your pocket, two buttons, boom, you just sent $12 to your friend on Zelle. Like, you can actually do that. Crypto is not that. And so, like, I think when you get to a world where the products get a little better, I think the, the possibilities of how people might end up using them and what's possible to be built will be different. Like, I think it's one of those things where, like, we, Galaxy view ourselves as, like, that social wallet, the wallet that does things. And I think I say it like this but up until now like wallets are things that you bring places like you bring your wallet with you where you go that's the beauty of crypto calyx is the wallet that takes you places Mm. right like it's a wallet that takes you places it's the wallet that can call your friend it's the wallet that you can have the best experiences of your life and it's the wallet that allows you to buy experiences It's the wallet that allows you to nfts the idea of the wallet being able to do things is going to be a very big important thing that drives usage and i think on the back of that you know, what's possible is quite endless. So I think, you know, you're exactly right. NFTs, big fan, love all the NFT projects, love shout out Dead Pixels, Hangry Barboons, all these projects in the Hedera ecosystem that are big supporters of us. We love them. But I think it's more about like what you can do with these NFTs, what you can do with crypto in general, digital assets as a whole. That's
1: going to be the most exciting. And then a final question What are crypto skeptics right about that this space needs to get better at? usage
0: if you really look at it on paper trillions of dollars in the asset class that most people aren't using it's disturbingly overly invested in relative to the level of development that we have which is a lot how most early technologies are like you buy into early tech companies like they aren't profitable whatsoever And i think there's a level of like you know we really need to have more people thinking about these critical usability and scalability issues, not just from the layer one side, but also just from the access and the hardware side too. And like the custodian side and all these different types of things, you know, I think that's going to be important. And like, yeah, the skeptics about like, do I want to know my seed phrase? My funds are gone forever. Like these things are, they're right about that. Cause people just don't care about it. And, you know, me personally, and I know we spoke about it, but like, My parents are, you know, from West Africa and the way I view the world of crypto and like how it can solve so many different issues in the developing world, both in Africa and Latin American markets, wherever it might be. You know, I think with that perspective, I see how transformative the technology can be. But if you live on this side of the world or in the developed market, like you can go to Bank of America and do everything you need to do. And it's easy. Mm -hmm. And like you don't introduce a net benefit by downloading a crypto wallet yet. Your crypto wallet presently to the American person is just like your digital wallet that doesn't allow you to buy anything. Yeah, It's laughable, but it's true. Yeah, And I think when that starts to change a little bit and like the need for a wallet, maybe because your wallet is like the place that you also go back to to hang out with your friends and it's the wallet that, you know, you have your chat rooms in and it's the wallet that has your marketplace stuff that you like to buy. And it's the, all these different types of things. I think the value proposition of the technology as a whole, starts to change.
1: Yeah, and, and the ability to plug them play with that wallet into different platforms but if the platforms aren't there then the incentive to get a wallet in the first place is is not there correct and then conversely what are those skeptics wrong about in your opinion uh everything else <laughs> <laughs> everything else i mean i think this is the opportunity we
0: are on the precipitous of the greatest value transfer or the, the greatest transfer of wealth ever in human history i think personally i think the growth of the crypto asset class will honestly create so many different avenues and i think ownership is very important. I think censorship and like the world we currently live is continually aging itself really fast in front of us. We see that the world that we currently live in doesn't fit where we're aimed to go. And I think blockchain is a very critical solution to that world problem. Otherwise, I think you could think about so many different and this is like geopolitically, this is like whatever, this is like wars. This is like I think there's so many different things if we live in the world that we currently have, I think society is like I mean, not doomed, but like, I think there's a lot more at stake. But I think once you start to increase you know, financial inclusion, access to resources, and I think blockchain and even AI solve a lot of those issues, I think that's the biggest opportunity. I think skeptics would be you know, foolish to not recognize or acknowledge.
1: Well, we'll uh, end it on that positive note. Uh, thank you so much for listening, consuming uh, the content, however which way you've done it. Solo, where can people find out more about you and Galaxy? absolutely i mean you can follow us on galaxy
0: you can follow me at galaxy at solo on galaxy.com easily to install us save it to your home screen you can follow me on twitter at solo CSA, on instagram at solo.c and yeah no i appreciate you for having me on the show it was a great one and uh yeah excited for next time
1: i appreciate you being a, a great guest if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to us via YouTube, Spotify, podcast, or you can subscribe to the Sporting Crypto newsletter at sportingcrypto.substack.com. Just remember that none of what we have said today during the show is financial or business advice, and this content is for informational purposes only. Web3 is underpinned by crypto, and crypto is volatile, meaning you can lose money if you are buying these assets personally or as a business. Where we are recording right now in the US, the majority of crypto asset companies are unregulated. Thanks so much once more for consuming this content. We'll have more sporting crypto for you next time.